so thankful to be able to be here and to uh, hear from God's word alongside you this morning. And so if you would, I'd like you to uh, grab your Bibles and find your way to Ephesians chapter 6. And as you go there, you're going to realize that um, we're coming to a passage about children and parents. And really, it's a, a continuation of what we've seen already, because before this, Paul had talked about how we are to submit to one another in reverence for Christ in chapter 5. And then he talked about wives submitting to their husbands and the church submitting to Christ. And then he talks about how the husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and to give themselves up for her. And then now we're coming to children, and it says, children, obey your parents. And that's how children uh, submit to their parents. They obey. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about the relationship between parents and children. And uh, really, the dynamic is, is complete because we're going to talk about how parents need to instruct their kids so that they know exactly what they're supposed to obey. And uh, I know some of you are thinking right now, you know what, I don't have any kids or my kids are grown and they're out of the house, so I'm going to kind of check out. No, you can't check out because you are someone's child. And we're going to talk about honoring your parents. And even if your parents have passed away, you still have a heavenly father who you need to honor. So we're going to talk about that this morning. We're also going to talk about how parents can uh, disciple their children. Because the reality is the parent that disciples their children, teaches their children what's right and what's wrong. They're the ones that are raising kids that become godly men and women who understand what it means to obey God and to follow him and to honor their parents. So if you would uh, join me as I go to Ephesians chapter 6, I'm going to read from verses uh, 1 uh, through 4. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You can write this down as a first point. Um, honor your parents. Now, Paul is talking to parents and he's talking to children because uh, God has placed parents in authority over children. And that's why they should obey, because actually the authority comes from the our Heavenly Father, who gives to our earthly father and mother, and we are to obey. And um, that's the position of authority that God has given them. And um, that's interwoven, like I said before, with the fact that parents need to be able to teach their children what is right and wrong and what God teaches so that they can actually follow and obey God's word. So there is a little bit of interwovenness between the two, the command to the parents as well as the command to the child. So a child can't obey what they don't understand or know. And so he gives us a qualifier too. He says that this is um, to obey in the Lord. Well, I think the first reason he says it's in to the Lord is, again, because of the authority from God to parent and then child. So even when a child submits to the authority of their parents, they're really submitting to the Lord who's authority above them. And so that's what we see. So even as you obey as a child, you're obeying God himself because God has placed your parents in a position of authority. And so whatever we do, we do it 
to the Lord. And that comes from Colossians 3, 23, 24, also confirms that. And uh, that says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And so no matter what we're doing, no matter where we are and we're serving some authority that God has placed over us, we're still actually doing it as to the Lord and not to that other authority in between. And so we need to keep that in mind. Now, the other reason that I believe he puts in there as to the Lord is because uh, there are times when you may have a believing child and you may have a parent who's asking them to sin, right? And so a believing child has a parent who's asking them to sin. They are not compelled to obey that parent in that moment because what their parent is asking them to do is contrary to God's law. And so we need to honor God and his commands over the commands of men. I remember a time when my wife and I were um, on our honeymoon in Venezuela. We met a, a young man who was a believer, and he told us about an interaction with his parents. His father actually, on his 16th birthday, purchased a prostitute for him because he was a man. But he refused the gift, and so he honored his heavenly father over honoring his earthly father. And so we need to make sure that we follow, follow the Lord and we honor him above any of that. And next Paul says that uh, this is right. And so we are to honor our father and mother because it's right. And then he actually goes on because the reason it's right is because it's God's command and it's in line with God's commands. So he goes from there and he actually begins to talk about um, the fifth commandment. And so he says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And so this is one of the, the Ten Commandments and actually comes from Exodus 20, verse 12. And there it's a reference to the promise that if we keep this command, we will live long in the land and have a long life and we will have God's favor and he's going to be present with us. That was the promise of the promised land. That as the Israelites went into the promised land, God would be with them. He'd be right there with them. And that he would show them his favor. And that they would live long in that land as they are following his commands. Well, how does that translate into what we, we know today in the New Testament? Well, first of all, if you are a believer and you are found in Christ, the moment that you are found in Christ, the moment that you believe in Christ, you are a part of God's family and you have the promise of heaven. And the reality is that's a certain hope. Heaven is a certain hope. It's not something that it's going to happen if you are found in Christ. And so the reality is when we become believers, our eternal life begins at that point and goes on forever. And so all of us, as we believe in Christ, we already have eternal life. We already have long life. And it's going to be for an eternity. The second is, God does promise to be present with us. He gives us his Holy Spirit to indwell in us, to give us guidance and direction. And Jesus promises to be with us, alongside us, to the end of the age. And so, that promise is true even today. That God is with us, he's present with us, and that he is um, 
given us eternity and life with him forever in heaven. And then also he is telling us that he's going to give us his favor so that as we follow God and we obey his commands, he saves us from the awful consequences of the sin we might have done otherwise. And so God wants us to follow his commands and he gives us his favor as we walk with him. And so how do we honor our father and mother? For kids, it's a little more simple, right? For kids, you need to be able to listen to your parents and you need to do what they ask you to do. That's obedience. Now, our parents also give us instruction and guidance. And as a child, you listen to that guidance, you listen to that instruction, and you trust it, and you act upon it. And so that's how we obey our parents as, as kids. But what about when you become a teen? When you're a teen, it's a little bit more difficult because the dynamic that happens is you're starting to learn things about life. And you're starting to come to grips with the, some of the things that you're understanding. And that sometimes causes a conflict with your parents because your parents, in your mind, they don't know that you know that you know some things, right? Because you know some things, and it seems like your parents don't know that you know some things. And so that causes a conflict. What you need to remember is that, you know what, one day, a long time ago, your parents were teens, and they know some things. And that's why they're worried about you. Okay? Because they know and they understand that you could get hurt. They don't want to see you fall into a, a relationship with someone that's going to compromise uh, your beliefs. They don't want to see you fall into something that's going to put you in harm's way. The thing you need to remember is that they, they really truly do love you. And they're saying those things because they want to care for you and protect you and to keep you from those harmful things that you may walk into not knowing it and not realizing it. And so what I would ask you to do as teens is for those moments that you had discouraging conversations with your parents or things have been hurtful, I want you to set those aside and forgive your parents and to honor them by believing them and trusting them. Right now, they are your parent. You need to listen to them and you're a teen. Someday soon, you're actually going to become an adult and that relationship will begin to change. You'll begin to be a little bit more like friends or peers, even though they're still your parent, but you'll begin to change in the way you have conversations and the way you share your ideas. And so just be patient and uh, be forgiving of your parents, especially if your parents were non-believers as you were growing up, I want you to especially give them some forgiveness. Now, how about as an adult? How do we honor our parents as an adult? Well, the first thing we do is we spend time with them. We don't all of a sudden, hey, I'm out of the house, I'm out of here, I don't really need you, I don't need a relationship with you. No, we honor our parents by being around them, visiting them, having real conversations with them. And so, even as young adults, you need to be able to have conversations, and even if it has to do where you don't share the same views, you respect one another and your differing views as you become adults together with your parents. Now, I know that for some of you, you're thinking, well, how could I, a Democrat, have raised this Republican child? Or I, as a Republican, how could I have raised this Democrat child? 
how could this happen in my household, right? And politics right now is so polarizing. Don't let that polarize your relationship as parents and as children. What you need to do is you need to concentrate on your own relationship with the Lord first, and then concentrate on your relationship with one another. And respect one another for the fact that you have come to different conclusions and different ideas as you've looked at the world. And now, how do we, how do we honor our parents when they're older? How do you honor your parents when they become the ones that need care? They're the ones that need to be watched over. How do you honor your parents when they're the ones that you have to change their diaper? You have to spoon feed them. You have to take them by the hand to help them walk along and to take them across the street. You do that again by spending time with them. Honor them even as their minds may even be stepping away and they seem distant from you. Still take time and spend time with them. I remember my, my own father, he had Alzheimer's. And I remember going to visit him and I would spend time with him. And most of the time he wasn't really even there. Mentally he was someplace else. But I would spend time and every once in a while he would have this lucid moment where he would know who I was and we could have a real conversation for about two minutes. Take time to be with your older parents and treasure those two minutes because soon they're going to be gone. Honor your parents. And then you could also write this down. Don't provoke your children. Disciple them. It says in verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, yes, it does say fathers, but that's because fathers are seen as the authority figure in the family, but mothers are there too. Because I know that there are many a mother who knows how to broke their children to anger as well. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah, we're all nodding our heads. So we are all guilty of provoking our children to anger as parents. And uh, we're both equally capable of doing that. And I know that for many of you, you have been like me. And um, hopefully it doesn't come out verbally, but you've thought in your mind while your kids are doing something that's distracting or a problem and you have some project you're trying to get done and they're disrupting you and they're doing something wrong that needs to be addressed, but you just got to get this done. And so you're thinking to yourself, my goodness, what are you kids doing? Stop what you're doing. You better not make me have to come over there and correct you. This is my time. I got to get this done. But then you're saying to yourself, don't make me come over there and be your parent, right? Don't make me come do what I'm supposed to be doing because we're being selfish. And the reality is we're getting angry. And then now <clears throat> I'm going to take my anger and I'm going to bring it to that child as I come to correct them. And then what happens? You know what happens. 
I want you to think about something. Before we came back from Romania to here in March, um, I was driving one day uh, to the church office, and I'm driving along, and I came to a stoplight, a red light, and so I stopped at the red light, and I'm the first person at the red light, right? So here I am, <clears throat> I stopped at the red light, and I hear a siren. So the policeman comes by, I see him come by over here, and he comes to the red light, he looks, maybe, but then he just goes through. Well, sure enough, a car comes through, and they hit the police car broadside. Now, you have to understand, in Romania, the police cars are these little dachas, it's basically a box with wheels. And all you gotta do is just tap it, and you know what that car did? It flipped over right in front of me. And so here's this car, police car, in front of me, and the policeman's hanging upside down from his seatbelt. And so I got out of my car, and I ran over to the police car, and I looked at that policeman, and I said, what is the matter with you? Didn't you see that the red light was there? And don't you know you're supposed to look both ways, even if you've got a siren? What is wrong with you? No. That's not what I did, right? When things like that happen, we come to rescue. Our children are lost. They're spiritually lost, and they need someone to come spiritually rescue them. You are the spiritual EMT. You are the spiritual emergency medical worker. Okay, And when they are misbehaving, you are coming there because they need God's grace and God's forgiveness, just like God gives you grace and you forgiveness when you're having a fit. right? And so they're spiritually lost, and we need to come and rescue them. And as we come to rescue them, we don't accuse them and get angry. Instead, we come as God does, and we ask them about what's going on in their heart. What did you think was going to happen in this instance? What was the result that you were looking for? And understand the heart behind what's going on so that you can, you can answer that and be able to give them guidance from God's word about how this ended up going wrong instead of going right. You need to couple your, um, your correction with what God says about it so they understand and can develop a moral compass. So God gave us our families, mothers and fathers, so that we would understand our heavenly father, our heavenly family. And so don't provoke your children to anger but show God's otherwise invisible grace and mercy that can show up through you, through your life, and through your actions. Now, a second way that we can anger our children and provoke them to anger is uh, we like to use this saying, um, because I said so. All right? Now, when your kids are little, you are supposed to give them directions. Okay, don't do this, do this, 
okay? And then it grows a little bit. Don't touch that, it's hot. Don't cross the street right now, you'll get squashed, right? So we give them some instruction. It's pretty directive when they're little, but as they get older, they start to ask, why? And if your answer is always because I told you so, because I said so, then they are never going to understand what's right and what's wrong. They're always going to need you to tell them what's right and what's wrong. Okay? So we need to couple our correction with instruction. And so if we don't, that child is going to grow up and the first time that you're not around to say because I said so, they're going to look at whatever situation it is and they're going to decide I'm going to do this because I said so, right? And so that is a second way that we provoke our children to anger. And they need a moral compass, and that's why we need to help them understand right choices. But the third way that we provoke our children to anger is um, we make unreasonable demands on them, or we're never satisfied. And so we want them to perform in a certain way, and when they don't perform in that certain way, we let them know we're disappointed. But even when they do perform and they do well, sometimes what some parents will do is they say, well, that was good. That's great. Look, you can accomplish that goal. Now let's make it this. And they don't celebrate the goal that they reached. They just take the bar and they move it higher. That discourages kids. That makes kids think that if I don't perform, maybe my parents don't find me acceptable. If I don't perform, maybe my parents don't love me. And so they find that they have to perform in order to find your acceptance and your love. And so now you're saying, you know what, Mike? I do that first one, and I think I do that second one. And you know what, my goodness, I, I think I even do the third one. And you're thinking to yourself, wow. Well, I want you to tell, I want to tell you something. Me too. Me too. How do you think I came up with this list? <laughs> right? Me too. And it should push us to a place as parents where we have just a tinge of regret. Now, we should never live in regret. God does not want us to live in regret. But we may have a tinge of regret because that's what's supposed to drive us to Jesus Christ. That's what's supposed to drive us to the point where you and I say, I surrender this parenting thing. I cannot do this parenting thing. God, I need your help right now. You've got to show up and show me and help me to be able to do this. And you know, Jesus promised to be with us even to the end of the age. And Jesus is also sovereign and upholds the whole world and everything in it in his hand. So if the one who upholds the world and is sovereign has promised to be with you right there, then he's with you and ready to help you. And he was right there alongside you on your worst parenting day. Okay. Now, Satan wants to take that and he wants to put a voice in your head and he wants to say, you are a bad parent. You're a bad mom. You're a bad dad. You're never going to change. That is a lie. That is a lie from hell 
from Satan. Don't allow that voice to enter in. What you need to do at that moment is you need to remember when you believed in Jesus Christ, you became God's child. And when you became God's child, you were saved by the gospel. We need to remember in those moments the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus came and he died on the cross and his blood covers our sin and we are now forgiven. And so that means that my sin from my past, my sin in the future, and my sin today when I'm struggling with my worst parenting day, Jesus came and forgives me for that too. And I am forgiven. And not only that, he took that wrath and he put it on the cross. So I'm not even going to get punished for it. And that puts me in a place where I am free to confess. Free to come to him and to confess what I'm coming through. Confess my sin and repent and turn from it. Now when God looks at us, he sees us in Jesus Christ. Christ is in us. And he sees Jesus. And so now when God looks at you, he says, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased. Let that be the loudest voice you hear. Let that be the loudest voice in your soul. And not only that, he tells us to, to step away from that sin and take a step toward Jesus Christ, right? And that's how we do it. We step away from that sin and we turn and we begin to pursue Christ. And Jesus says in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. If you are in Christ, then you know the voice of Jesus. And he's speaking to you. He speaks to you through his word, and he speaks to you when you pray, and he speaks to you through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, but the Holy Spirit also reminds you of everything that Jesus said. And so, take a step away from sin and take a step toward Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Sorry. I'm going to go back to verse 4 again. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And the next thing is, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, to discipline and instruct your child is basically saying you need to disciple your child. Discipline has more of the connotation of what we do. So it's talking about taking action and guiding our children and correcting them. But then instruction in the Lord takes on more the connotation of words, where we're taking time to fill them what they need to know. We're giving them a, a solid foundation, a biblical foundation, so they understand the right perspective as they come to this world. And so it's about what we do and about what we say. And so now, if this means that we need to disciple them, um, how do we disciple them? 
Is, is Paul telling us? This just seems just too, too simple, too short, right? But if I look on the opposite page of my Bible, I see in chapter 4 and 5, I see things where Paul said, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And again, he says, to put off your old self, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God. Put away falsehood. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such is good for building up. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Be imitators of God. Walk in love. Walk as children of light. I'm not even at the end yet of chapter 5. Do you see what's happening there? That, that God's word is complete. If we are to disciple our children, we have all the guidance we need to disciple our children as well as others. It's all right here. And I'm certain that if you take the time to read God's word with your children and you talk about what it says, you're discipling your children. And as you disciple your children, they're going to understand what they need to do in order to obey. And so a parent that is discipling their children is raising children that have the capacity to obey. And so there's an interaction, an interwovenness uh, between that too. Now I know that um, many of you in, invest in your kids, right? You invest in your kids in their education, you make sure they have the best schools, maybe even have a, a tutor for them, you want them to be the top in their class, you want them to get the scholarships and to do well. Some of you, you know that your child uh, has more of an athletic ability. And so you really help them to make sure that they can develop that. Maybe you even have them on several teams. You even um, make sure that they have a trainer. And your dream is one day they're on the White Sox or the Cubs or the Bears, right? And so you're investing in your kids that way. Now, some of you, maybe your children are musical, and so you're investing in them for lessons, and you're hoping that one day they're going to be a rock star and you're going to get all that money back. Good luck with that one, right? <laughs> now, here's the question. How are you investing in how they come to know Jesus Christ? That needs to be our most important investment. That's what we need to place at the top. Now, I'm going to tell you a secret that I learned from a gentleman called um, Paul Tripp. And uh, I wish I had read this earlier in my life, but I'm going to share it with you and hopefully it, it helps others. Paul Tripp said this, stop trying to change your child's behavior. If you're working to try to change your child's behavior, then you will wear yourself out with a long life, full-time job. God didn't make you their parent so that you can police and correct their behavior. God made you their parent to disciple their hearts, to be the tool he uses to transform their hearts. Because he is the only one capable of changing anyone's heart. 
So how do we do that? How do we bring our children to a place where they are before Jesus and he can transform their hearts? Well, here, here at Anchor, we have um, Anchor Kids, we have Awana, we have Junior High, we have High School, and maybe we even have parenting classes. And those are there to assist you. But the main responsibility to disciple your children actually falls upon the parents themselves. And so where do you begin? What's the starting point? The starting point is this, that when your child is born and God gives you your child, your child is lost. Your child doesn't know God. And so that lost child is placed in your care. And your child doesn't just have a behavior problem, they have a behavior problem because they're lost. And so lost people typically don't know that they're lost. And they behave like lost people. Does that sound like your kids? When my daughter was two, and my son, I think, was uh, six, maybe, she had taken one of his cars, and she had it, and um, because it's in her hands and she's two, that's hers, right? Now, my son comes along, and he's six, and he sees his car in her hands, and he takes the car from her. That's mine. Well, what does she do? No, that was mine. And so now I shove you and knock you over because you trip and you bang your head and now you're screaming and yelling. And mom and dad come. They want to find out what happened. Well, she took my car and then she knocked me over. No, he took my car. It was my car, right? And then you correct the little one. You say, you know, you can't shove your brother. And what does she do? She looks at you like, what? I thought if you knew that he just came and took my car from me, that you would come over here and you'd shove him too. Because she's lost. She doesn't understand. She needs to be able to, you have to explain to her why it's wrong. You have to couple that together so they can have a moral compass um, as they get older. So we have to remember that our kids are lost and we have to start when they're little. When our oldest daughter was two years old. We went to church, and we went to an event, and uh, they talked about kids, and the woman said something about even two-year-olds can pray. And at that time, my daughter was two, and I thought, two-year-olds can pray? Really? So I thought, well, okay, we'll go home. We'll try this praying thing. So I asked my daughter when she was two, I said, hey, do you want to pray? Yeah. I said, okay, go ahead and pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I'm like, wow, the girl can pray. And she's only two. I'm thinking, what am I waiting for? Am I waiting until she can read? What's my problem? So at that point, we decided, hey, we better get a children's devotional, get something going here. And so we bought a children's devotional. We began to go through that. And then before long, she memorized that. So then we had to move on to a children's Bible. And um, the children's Bible actually had questions at the back. So we, we would read the Bible text, and then we would ask them those questions and interact. And you know what? That didn't just teach her. That taught me and my wife, too. 
it taught us how to read the Bible and to ask questions from the text. So then as they got older, uh, we decided to, to use a full Bible. And as we did that, we knew enough to ask some of those kinds of questions as we went through the Bible. And then we would do that about five times uh, a week. And you know what? That led, as our kids got older, to lots of great spiritual conversations. Not just when we read the Bible, but even other times during the day because we were alert, all of us, to what the Bible has to say about different things that happen in our lives. And so our kids were also musical, so they decided uh, that one day a week we're going to have, like, worship. So then we did the Bible four nights a week, and one night we would have worship together. And we did that for years and years, and then they got older, they went to college, they moved away. But we have two sons that are still with us now. And so we still try to do this once a week with them. And it goes fairly well, but sometimes... Um, we read something in the Bible and we get distracted and we go off to like talking about politics or something else and we can have some pretty heated discussions because we don't always see eye to eye. But the bottom line is this always brings us back together and gives us the right perspective and it helps us to understand how to appreciate one another. And so my advice to you is this. I don't know how old your kids are and if you're reading the Bible together with them and doing devotions on a regular basis. My, my challenge to you is start today. Start now at whatever age they are and just begin and do it as much as you can for as long as you can. Don't stop. And so don't miss the chance to be able to disciple your kids. Connect everything that they're learning and that they understand to God's story of redemption. I want you to even take time to share your testimony with your kids in an appropriate way. They need to know how you came to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And they need to hear you pray, and they need you to talk about how God has answered prayers too. Your toddler, as well as your teenager, needs to hear that from you. And then be transparent about your failures. Uh, they see them, especially if they're teens. And it's better that you show them how to deal with it in the right way. Your kids need an example of how that's done. And so don't miss the everyday opportunities that you have. Um, children, honor your parents. Adults, honor your parents. And parents, um, your child's a sinner in need of God's forgiveness and grace. And you are the very tool that God wants to use to bring them to himself. And so I challenge you to disciple your children. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word because of the way that it challenges us to seek and understand the way that you are at work in our lives and in the lives of our children, the lives of our parents. Help us to understand and know how to honor our parents at whatever age they are in. But most of all, Father, I pray that you would show us how to honor you. And so, Father, I just place all of these things before you and ask that you would Give us guidance and direction through your word. Help us to be able to walk in a way that pleases you, honors you, and glorifies you in all things. And Lord, um, show us every step of the way, the way to do it. Help us to surrender our lives to you, knowing that you are the only one who has the ability, the capacity, and the strength to help us uh, through your spirit. 
Give us guidance and direction that in all things you might be glorified. And we pray this in your name, Jesus.